welcome to the Legendarium. Uh, my name is Todd. As you can see, we've got Ken and we've got our guest with us, Jack Butler. Uh, he has reminded us that he is a public figure. So uh, contrary to popular belief, Ken and I are not public figures. We're we're barely public at all. Uh, but uh, we are. He also reminded us that he was not alive when uh, Frank Butler or Frank Herbert was. Uh, we're going to talk about that one later because yeah. I was alive when this book came out and did not read it then. Uh, so I don't know if that counts. What was it? The man who doesn't read is no better than the man who can't. Something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, took me a while. Nothing. Took me a while. Uh, and now that we've waffled for just a few moments, uh, welcome to the Legendarium. We are the Blue Team, and we're going to be discussing discussing Heretics of Dune. Uh, setting the stage for, I guess we're going to be discussing Chapter House of Dune afterwards, and then the whole world is going to join with us on a Dune frenzy. Notice I said frenzy. I didn't say any of those other words that we'll be talking about later uh, when the new Dune movie comes out. So hopefully this is uh, setting the stage for everybody, getting ready for that. Uh, as always, a little bit of housekeeping. If you would like to engage with us, please feel free to uh, reach out to us on Discord, on Twitter. Uh, go to the website, legendarianpodcast.com. You can reach out to us in lots of different ways that way. Discord is where we tend to be uh, more active than not, and we have uh, quite a few of our uh, of our community that like to engage with us as well. Sometimes they humiliate us, and often they pillory me on a regular basis. So with all of that said, now, Jack, the official welcome. Welcome back. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I mean, it's been such a long time since I was here that I thought the podcast would have a different sort of abbreviated or bastardized name by now, like like <laughs> leg or something. Uh, you know, I just, I just thought that might be the case, but it seems to have kept the, the, the same name as it once had, which is kind of an impressive thing, as as we'll be discussing. That's sort of the question, or one of the one of the questions that Heretics of Dune covers is the endurance of institutions and institutional memory over time, and how you can uh, retain, how you can adapt to changing times without losing your original mission or becoming obsolete. Um, so I'm, this doesn't seem to have happened in this podcast. You're still talking about uh, things not... like Heretics of Dune, obviously. So, yeah, not yet. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't write us off completely as things that cannot change with time. We'll we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I suppose. Um, Give us another but, thing. Maybe we'll become the gendarium a little bit. <laughs> Is the uh, the the other the, leg. the other uh podcast group here? What's the well, maybe this is skipping too much to ask what the sort of honored Matres Bene Gesserit orientation is here between the two of you. But uh, so we are the Bene Gesserit, and the red team is. Oh no! Wait a minute. The red team was first. They're, no, yeah, the red yeah. team is the Benetlelax. We are the oh. Bene Gesserit, and the green team go. would be the honored. The green Matres. team is the honored Matre. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, how that That's it. That's how that works. Yikes. So uh, I guess depending on who you want to hate, you can hate us all. It's <laughs> usually a good policy. There you go. And I guess Jack, that makes you more deep. So um, well, you are oh, you are oh existing dear. in the. <laughs> I guess you I would, get to exist in the memory of the worm. Oh, I can't believe I, I said would, that. I would think this makes uh, this makes Jack Duncan Idaho. We just resurrect him when we need him. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. We can oh, play with man. that a lot. Yeah. I just have. I know we're here to talk about Heretics of Dune, but I just have to say. I may have said this when we discussed uh, God Emperor of Dune all of those millennia ago. I just there was something I found so comical about just the repeated resurrections of Duncan Idaho 
there's just just you especially when uh there's a scene where the god emperor kills the first duncan idaho that appears in god emperor of dune uh as a character and then immediately or no what's happening is he wants to kill the second one and he asks maneo his his uh his steward how long will it, how long will it take to create a new duncan and maneo's like oh i don't know it may, it may be longer than you like and god emperor's like ah well maybe we sh- maybe i shouldn't do it <laughs> Uh, but yes, so that, that I, I'm glad to have in, uh, assumed the man, the mantle of this, what I found darkly comedic character, at least his situation was darkly comedic. Weird. Um, uh, he, he's actually one of the things that I've written down that I do want to have uh, a, a different kind of conversation about than we had on the last couple of episodes, so uh, hopefully we'll have some fun with that. Before we get too far into that, though, Ken, do you have a recap for this one? I, you know, it only took me about fifteen hundred years to create one, but, but I do have one. Well, take it away, Ken. Yeah. Let me. Fifteen hundred years have now passed since the tyrant Godworm Leto II took his flipper hands and gross protuberance and sloughed off his wormy <laughs> flesh and uh. left Iraq and minions to their own devices along with a golden path, which ensured humanity's survival and definitely didn't create any unintended consequences. Now it's time for the diverse, scattered remnants of humanity to return to the formerly lush and fertile lands of Arrakis, now reverted to the desert state that we, uh, that we used to know. And home to a whole new squishing of Lido-infused sandworms. I think squishing is the official term for a group of sandworms. <laughs> a squish. It also of is now just called a squish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's also now just called Rackus by the hip and cool kid planets. You can tell it's modern and cool because every name is shortened. Giddy Prime is now Gamu. Caladan is now just Dan. Ix is just Eh. So, <laughs> but one thing hasn't changed and. That's the Bene Gesserit, or Bee Gees, for the cool kids. Their crusade to mold the galaxy according to their designs. It's still there, and there's a girl on Rackus who can somehow control the Lido worms, and they hope that a Jessica Atreides lookalike can use religious fervor and a little sweet, sweet loving to bond the girl to a goal of, who else? Jack Butler, I mean Duncan Idaho, oh. and create a new Quizatz <laughs> Hadarak, but with more worm powers, because control the worms and you control the old religions. Meanwhile, out of the scattering comes a new group of power-wielding women the, who way outsex the Bene Gesserit, and they attack the honor mod- or <laughs> You brought it up early. It. I'm so proud of you. Oh, and prematurely, I could even say. Often. <laughs> <laughs> Attacks by the honored Matres force the Bene Gesserit to awaken their Duncan Gola early. We're, we're going to let that one slip. <laughs> by way of a new, coolest character in the Duneverse. Yeah. That being Miles Tegg. But the Telelaxulu, I never say it, planted a special failsafe in this Duncan who knows how to counter the honored Matres sex bond in truly smutty fashion. Side note, Frank Herbert was a dirty old man by the end. I think he was hanging out with Sting, you know, getting a little tantric, whatever. But, yeah. So, anyway, Duncan Idaho uses uh, himself and bonds, uh, sorry, bonds an honored mantra to himself. The tension of the whole novel climaxes, yeah, I did say it. When Miles Tegg and his old comrades sacrifice themselves to distract the honored Matres, Duncan, so Duncan, Shiana, and Otrade, the BG's new frontman can escape with some worms, leaving Rackus to its own destruction. But as always, the line of Atreides somehow just keeps trucking. So that's where we're at. Questions <laughs> abound, starting with those axolotl tanks, man. Uh, that was weird. Uh, yeah. That, that was an interesting twist. Yeah, I want to talk about that. But anyway, back to you guys. And may you die on Caladan. 
Oh, <laughs> what a kind thing for you to say. Yeah, let's let's start with the axolotl tanks. As long as we're there, I guess we're t- we're we're too far in. Hopefully, people understand. Whenever they're coming to us with anything that's been around for a while, spoilers are going to happen. So, folks, just just recognize if you have not read the book. I see that. Uh, uh, I think it's Panda that hasn't read the book. He's watching along with us right now live. And, uh, you know, yeah, you're going to get the spoilers whether you like them or not. Axolotl tanks. Did it surprise yeah. you guys when they said none of us will be an axolotl tank for you? And then we have Duncan remembering being born, coming out of a womb in a woman that was hooked up to all that axolotl tanks were people soil and green it is somehow people as well felt, that's exactly down. what i thought I... <laughs> yes <laughs> we all wrote down yes. the same thing i had this axolotl i i had axolotl this... tanks are made out of people the moment when charlton heston is being dragged away i could see him as duncan <laughs> idaho axolotl tanks are people <laughs> Um. Yep. Yeah. I mean. It is, yep. Yep. I. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Ken. Uh, I. I just say I. I caught that. Although I wasn't surprised by it. In fact, when they said um, early in the book, when when somebody just was posited, did you ever notice we never see any of the uh, Tillalaxu women? Like, oh, hey, how about that? Yeah. And then it. Uh, that reminded me of, of the the whole thing about dwarf women in the Lord of the Rings and how you don't see any of them either. And I, maybe so dwarf women beard. are axolotl tanks. Is that what we, we're saying? We don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it would be really convenient for me if Dune and Lord of the Rings existed in the same universe. But do we know that that's not true? I frankly, we don't, and therefore we must assume it is. Uh, that's how I'm just saying. Works, have right? we ever seen a dwarf and a Tlaxu in the same place at the same time? No, I haven't. Not that we're aware of. Yeah, I gotta preface it right, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how disturbing is that, though? I mean, honestly, I didn't find it all that. I I read some uh, recaps, or I listened to a couple of, of things from people who followed the Dune uh, series pretty closely, who were deeply disturbed. I'm using air quotes uh, about the fact that the that the Tlaxu women were the axolotl tanks, but honestly. It didn't surprise me because it's even at this point, Frank Herbert's works were kind of pulpy. It it was almost uh, almost a used trope, I, I guess, to have that occur. Yeah, in the in the 1960s, it probably could have been. Um, I, I think one of the things that it that it um, and I, I guess for for some of this, we're going to probably be. Uh, level two on a lot of on a lot of things about this particular book the the uh, questions about society and about how, you know what makes for good societies bad societies uh, how how much of a social commentary are are some of these kinds of issues um, the idea of growing people so that you can harvest parts of them because remember uh, when we were first introduced to the axolotl tanks there's two uses for them one of them was golas. Uh, or the creation of more Jack Butlers. And the other one was the creation of replacement body parts for Fremen who lost their, who lost limbs or eyes or other parts of their bodies during the jihad that went across after Muad'Dib took over as the new emperor. And so, you know, we've got this question, okay, 
we are growing human beings specifically for the purpose of chopping them to pieces and moving body parts around. I'm not sure if that's a social commentary, but I uh, I will say that while the revelation in Heretics of Dune for me was kind of like, Ugh, the, the as I pursued that thought a little bit more, I, I found myself saying, I think they're talking a lot. I, I think he he's trying to say something bigger than just this is kind of an icky process to bring him to bring about the gola. This is a this is a comment on the disposability of human life. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the question is also how much of the the uh, the prohibitions enshrined in the Butlerian Jihad, and I know this isn't technically, this isn't about computers specifically, but I think usually the way the Butlerian Jihad is, is described is it makes people kind of uncomfortable about things of this nature as well. Yeah. And so, and particularly when you are sort of subsuming human nature to a process or a machine, that's typically a thing that in the Dune universe is a, is a sign of uh, something that is not usually put in a good light and is often a sign of uh, a group or a civilization or a planet that is not to be respected. And yeah, and that yeah. that's why that. So the, the, the thing about the XL tanks is not, it's not super surprising, but it, it is kind of unsettling. I have to ask though, it's been probably too long since I've read the, the, the previous books in the series is the possibility of this being a sort of grotesquely human process hinted at, or is just this just a real out of left field possibility? Yeah, great question. I remember when when I read the when I read the books, um, I read I read Heretics of Dune. I read the first uh, I read the first Dune when I was like eighteen, nineteen eighty seven. Uh, yeah, go ahead and do the math. I'm old. Uh, and then <laughs> I read the next two. Um, when I was probably 30, uh, in my early 30s, and then I took about five years off, and then I came to Heretics of Dune, about 35, maybe almost 40. Uh, and so by that point, uh, it was a shock that that human beings were used in this way. Uh, and I guess as, as I've come back and reread it again, and as we've gone back and reread, I, I wonder how much he was um, – there were, there were certainly hints – along the way. How long does it take before we can have our next uh, replacement part? Well, it takes about nine months. Uh, uh. You know, it depends on what we have on, on hand. Um, you know, and how long does it take to grow? Well, it's a very delicate process. Um, and so, <laughs> so there were, there were certainly some hints along the way, especially in God Emperor of Dune, where they talked about how long does it take to get a new Gola? Uh, you made mention, Jack, that conversation, well, probably longer than you'd like, sir. Uh, uh -huh. well, it's, it's just because you can only, you can only birth so many of them at once, I guess. Uh, and you've only got so much genetic material. Uh, so I think it was probably something that he was thinking that some of his more astute readers would would figure out on their own. Obviously, I was not one of those. <laughs> uh, when when they got to the point where they said, uh, Ken, like you had mentioned, where he said no one had ever seen a Tleilaxu female, that was the first hint that I had that maybe they were involved some way, but I didn't think that they were the axolotl tanks. That was kind of one of those where in fact i yeah. think i remember where i was when i was reading it i was down in my basement i read it and it said none of us will be an axolotl tank and i went ew <laughs> <laughs> one of those moments 
Right. I feel like, and this could be, um, this could be using, you know, the modern lens to uh, look back at history because it was written in, you know, 84, nearly 40 years ago. But, but I feel like it was almost deliberately set up by Herbert to juxtapose with the face dancers in an attempt to say, who's more icky? The Tlelaxu or the Ixians, <laughs> you know, I'll buy that as if to say uh, these, will, are, these fact, are the two. It would not bad surprise me at all. So and I don't know if that's yeah. true or not. I've never read yeah. anything, you know, about backstory, but that's just what I take from it. So, uh, so let's let's shift gears, shift gears a little bit. I want to ask a, I want to ask you guys a question. Um and, and and this one is this one is uh, a question that is in context of the entire Dune series that we've read up to this point in time. Um, Fifteen hundred years uh, since the scattering. The scattering happens thirty five hundred years after the ascendancy of uh, Leto the second. So roughly thirty five hundred years after Muad'Dib, after the Fremen. Uh, you know, maybe if there's another hundred years of, of of war around there, they've got another uh, they've got another thirty six hundred years. So we're talking about six thousand years since Muad'Dib, right? Or five thousand years, excuse me. Uh, and math wasn't my strong suit. Um, but then that's also ten thousand years. The the year that all of this happened, that Muad'Dib shows up, was ten thousand plus years into the existence of humanity. Um, and and there is uh, woven throughout the thread of all of these books hints that they have forgotten from whence they came. Um, we don't remi- they 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 talk about religions, um, but they don't talk about any religions that we're familiar with. Just that they use them and and dis- the Bene Gesserit will use them and discard them. That they've done this multiple times to protect the Missionaria Protectiva. Um, but there, there seem to be three groups of people who never forget anything. The Golas, <laughs> because they can be triggered, right? Yeah. And brought back, right. no triggering. Maybe that's an interesting thing to talk about. <laughs> uh, the Bene Gesserit, because they have the ability to access previous lives through the water of life. And the Bene Tleilax, because they keep having their masters reborn out of axolotl tanks so they keep all of the memories of history before is did when you were did did you guys when you were reading that say to yourself i wonder if there's something about remembering the past that allows for control and domination if that's something that herbert was trying to talk about as well as his thing about spice and power and politics I mean, if so, it'd be he'd be on solid ground because there's that famous line about 1984 about he who controls the the past controls the present, he who controls the present controls the future. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it seems that, that you're you're setting these three groups, uh, distinguishing them in, in this way, it seems to identify a key aspect of the book, which is that they're they're these are the people now that the God Emperor's gone? Question mark. Uh, these are the three groups who have pretty much managed to survive with a kind of uh, strength and coherence through a, a bizarre variety of challenges and circumstances. And so there's, yeah, there's probably a bit of the me- of the message uh, that you that you that you identified, which is the 
the power of controlling history and how and the past and the the advantages that brings. But there's also you could you could spin this in a more wholesome way of 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 saying that a kind of maintaining a, a continuity or a memory within a, a person or a group or an organization can itself be a source of strength and something to be that's something to be uh, sought after if there's if there's any semblance of a, a moral message here or at the very least if you just view it in raw power terms like this is this can be a, a helpful thing for you because yeah. you can remember like oh we did that once didn't work let's not do it again <laughs> or yeah. we did that once it was fun get us another gola let's do it again <laughs> yeah i need more golas or yeah we, we're running out of golas fast <laughs> i I, I was thinking it, it could also be used as a cautionary device, as in uh, the people who the people who have have that knowledge say, "Well, it didn't work that way. Let's try it this way." Yeah, you know, and let's let's tinker with it just a little bit more. I think less less that uh, Herbert was trying to make a cautionary tale of uh, those who know the past, because I think that's that's good. It's it's the uh, dangers of prescience. Or thinking that we know everything that's coming. I think that is a, a theme throughout all of the books is that it's great to have the knowledge to know what's coming up. Like like Jack said about Orwell, those who control the present control the future. But knowing too much about the future or having a feeling like you know too well what's coming can also be a both a crutch and a danger well yeah because in that's, terms of... that's the interesting thing about the the groups that have made it all this way uh, by the time we get to heretics of dune is that they all have the this access to the past and to memory and this knowledge of history but also they have an ability to adjust and adapt to changing circumstances and it's it's almost like there's on the one hand you have you have uh sources of power that fall by the wayside for their their lack of ability to maintain continuity with the past but you have others that that fall to the wayside for their lack of flexibility for their for their obstinance the one the ones who can't figure out how to how to keep themselves from being obsolete uh, as a result of their commitment yeah. to the way things were and so they just the society and the universe changes around them and the, and they just end up irrelevant yeah i i i i was also interested or or Maybe not interested is the right word, but it was it was curious to me that of all of the groups that we get comfortable with and get exposed to in the beginning, we don't hear very much about the navigators in this particular one. Yeah, we basically hear that they – I think they've effectively joined with the Ixians because the Ixians yeah. developed a yeah. means to travel through space without the use of the spice. And so that kind of makes the they navigators didn't. nowhere near as – important or as powerful as they once were but all in in fairness they were they were on the decline starting in the first dune book anyway so not exactly a surprise yeah. that they've been kind of rendered effectively irrelevant by this point yeah um, was it the ixians that came up with the synthetic spice yeah that's or was it just is that how they is that how they uh, navigate or was it just more technology because the Ixians were the well. I think by the technological bunch. I think there's already. I think in God Emperor, someone already has is like figuring out a ship that can navigate without the use of the spice. If I yeah. if I remember correctly, is that where the no ships come from? 
because they can't be seen by the guild navigators? Or am I am I adding something into that? I don't know for sure. I can't. There there is a very early no chamber in yeah. God Emperor, and not not yeah. there's actually two because there's the one in which. Uh, uh, Leto, the, the God Emperor's eventual doomed wife, is born, and then there's the one in which he scrolls away his journals. Yes. Um, well, and I think there's also a third one because they have the one where the the Cabal works to try and come up with a plan to kill him, and they do it in in a protected space, a space that is immune from his prescience. Oh yeah. Yeah, so these the seeds of these right. things were being yeah. planted, I yeah. guess more yeah. more than I thought, uh, or more than I had realized in, in earlier books. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I, I think that there's uh, and and some of the conversation in the in the chat has been about the the prequels, um, and and there was a question or there was a statement about uh, about some of the prequels that shed some light on some of these things. If we ever get around to reading those prequels, I think each one of the books in the prequels is like. 17 million pages um they just they just feel huge uh so so we'll probably wait a while before we get onto those but uh but thanks for thanks for the reminding of some of those Uh, so um you know now that we've we've talked about some some you know very very uh technical kinds of things and some things that people probably don't care about can we talk about what the root of this book is and yes i used the word root could it be called sex melange and writing the worm (laughs) you could call it that (laughs) <laughs> if you want, I, I guess I got. I you think Ted just turned want. the color of his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I the writing. Go of ahead, the Jack. Worm. Go ahead. The, the the sex stuff was there's a, there's been weird sex stuff in. I think I, I guess it really starts uh, appearing more after in, in Children of Dune and God Emperor of Dune. Here though, it's just. This it's like what half the book's about. It's it's kind of a uh, yeah. I mean, this is what the whole we haven't talked much, much that much about the honored uh, matres yet. But they're they're basically the the Bene Gesserit finally get a Sith. Base is pretty much what they are. Yes. And the yeah. And in the same way that the 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 Sith get to have the cool power of Force Lightning, whereas the Jedi never do. Although I understand someone's gonna complain and be like, "Oh, but this has been retconned that that good Jedi can uh, that Jedi can have Force lightning." Whatever. Okay, fine. Uh, <laughs> the this isn't a Star this is not a Star Wars thing right now. Uh, although I have maybe I should I don't know if I'll have a chance to mention this. This is a digression within di- a digression. But there is long ago somebody pointed out to me what I believe is an esoteric Star Wars criticism in this book. Um, I'll just I'll just read it. Oh. Briefly, since I have the book right next to me, and I know what page it's on. Uh, he's a 3PO, they said, meaning that such a person surrounded himself with cheap copies made from declasse substances. <laughs> yes, I remember uh, reading that and highlighting it in my book. I need to come back to this, so thank that, you for that, bringing that up. Yeah, that we can... Okay, if you're going to talk about that later, I won't dwell on it now. I'll, I'll just get back, back to uh, the, the, the Bene Gesserit uh, Sith, the Honored Matres. Basically... If the Bene Gesserit are the Jedi and the the Sith get the more cool powers, the the honored Matres they are just so good at sex you couldn't be- you you can't believe it. That's like that's what they learned out in the scattering. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what was going on out there, but they came back and like wow, they just they just really know how to show you a good time, and that makes them <laughs> that makes them a really 
really powerful threat. Everybody wants an honored Montre at a party. That's what that's what I'm hearing. Well, unless they use their <laughs> unless you're an enemy and they like do one of their terrifying kicks at you. They always kick. It's kind of an interesting part of the the way that their their physical antagonism is described in the book is they're they're they they work with their feet when they're actually trying to fight you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some of the, uh, I'm seeing some of the comments in the chat area, uh, of people saying that weird sex stuff is just a staple of science fiction. And, uh, especially, especially in, uh, in the eighties, uh, when everybody was about as tightly buttoned up as we've been in the last hundred years. Uh, yeah, it, it, it certainly was, uh, you know, it certainly was something that could be titillating and, and very fascinating, very interesting. In fact, I think, uh, Frank Herbert was probably one of the more, uh, mainstream authors to be as, uh, in fact, funny story while I was, while I was reading the book, of course, when I read right now, I'm doing it all on audiobook. I was picking my daughter up from high school. It was a hot day. And I had the windows unrolled, and as the rest of the high school students are coming out, I got to the portion where, uh, yeah, no, I'm the serious, climax. Panda, I, I, Panda. It was so. I and as I'm as I'm listening, and I'm just listening to the book because you know this is my second time through the book, so it's not surprising to me. And and we get to the part where it's where they start saying, and you know. Uh, Duncan noticed his, his his erection becoming impossibly hard, and uh, he realized painfully that all the sausages stiff, were hip, painfully described. stiff. There we go. I think that was it. Uh, and and then and 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 just as this is coming up, this girl walks past my door, and I'm like, <laughs> I just I'm here. I am creepy old man in a parking lot where high school girls are coming out listening to this. I wanted to say, it's a science fiction classic. <laughs> but I knew yeah, that'll hold up well in court, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, was, I, I haven't been banned from It was from a male Harlequin yet. romance novel. <laughs> but yeah, it, it really, you know, for, for that period of time and continuing on today, I think that, I think there's some accuracy. Barbarella that came out in the, in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, all about those same kinds of the, that's that particular trope, and, and, and let's not forget about the the incest in in Star Wars. Um, <laughs> kiss your sister, that... kiss your sister. <laughs> yeah, right. Um... I I I think that that is a, but I but I, I find it interesting, uh, or at least I found it interesting. Maybe maybe I'm just weird, uh, but if if Dune was all about um, was a was a commentary on ecology. And on oil, and on some of the problems that happen when you have a monopoly over a thing that controls all of the, everyone else's transportation abilities. Um, now, is this a is this Frank Herbert's lashing out at, and saying if you during the again during the eighties this period of time when the moral majority and Jerry Falwell and all the rest were you know Reagan Reaganomics, but also Reagan's uh, very puritanical bend on or influence to the to a puritanical bend in the United States uh, coming out and saying, look, if you try and restrict things too much, you're going to get this kind of explosion that you're that is going to uh, pervert all of the good things that you're looking for anyway. I couldn't find anything on that, but is that me just reading too much into it because I lived through that? Or do you see something about that that maybe Herbert's hinting at? I think the Bene Gesserit like... hinted at it, but I don't know if he was doing it because he wanted to or because he's just using it as a plot point. 
I feel like it, it that could have been uh, something or there could be something into that. I personally read it as a dirty old author kind of getting his rocks off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, Never underestimate he, that element. It, well, and, and that's why I say it. It was not uncommon for credible authors later in life oh, Ken to just decide froze. to get a oh, little Oh, there we bit. got him back. Oh, yeah. I'm, here I am back. It, it wasn't uncommon for authors uh, who had made credible bones for years to become, you know, to just experiment, for lack of a better term, a little bit and just go crazy with their literature. And Heinlein was, in his later books, he was doing it, too. Yes, he was. So, yes, he was. As a... Uh, Friday so, came out uh, yeah. with it, and um, oh, there was another one. Anyway, but yeah, I'd buy, yeah. I'd buy Here's that. Anthony. He he uh, <laughs> got pretty. I mean, that was even in his earlier works. He got pretty dirty and stuff. So it, uh, although it could, I didn't. I didn't think that about the connection between it being the mid '80s. It very well could have been some kind of social commentary on the uh, the greed, everything or anything goes type of loose society yeah. that the '80s ended up being. You know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Jack, of course, was not alive during the '80s, so right. He, you know, well, I mean, he's... this version of me wasn't. I, I could perhaps <laughs> have have a Gola memories triggered by I don't know. What would be the per- what would be the right '80s like memory thing to trigger my my Gola my 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 memories of the t- of the time? I don't know. Um, you just need Jonah Goldberg to come over and beat you senseless until you remember. <laughs> <laughs> that might work. Or or uh, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, or Hulk. Yeah, there you go. Um, those those were, the, and that's about as far as you got for punching in those days. Speaking of punching, um, about the last third of this book is a running firefight with yeah. everybody. I, I, the first time I read it, I had a tough time being sure that whether people were in safe or not so safe hands um and and the number of the amount of gore that probably could have plastered all over the screen if this had been if this one ever gets turned into a film would be up there with a quentin tarantino film at least uh i'm thinking inglorious bastards level of of just wanton destruction um, Ken, was it too much for you? No, no, not at all. I mean, but <laughs> why, why would it be too much? I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, it was funny because Seeker mentioned in the comments earlier that, that Herbert didn't do a lot of punching. And that's true. In the early dunes, the, the level one stuff was a little bit hard to come by. There was plenty of it in this, uh, especially where Miles Tegg was concerned. It, it did almost feel, I don't know. It felt like. It felt like an author, again, kind of like with the sex, it, it felt like an author trying something different a little okay. bit uh, in, in the sense that, well, I've already explored all of these deeper issues in the last few books. Now I just want to I want to produce an action book, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so he threw it, And I didn't think it was necessarily inappropriately placed. I thought the action was great. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think that Herbert was great on the details, you know, really. I mean, well, I mean, there there are times when, particularly near the end of the book, and this is one of the criticisms I have, is that the, the, the pacing near the end gets kind of weird because there's there's at least two scenes I can think of where there's there's some really exciting action about to happen, and then we get to the next chapter. Both of these involve Miles Tag, I guess. 
Yes. When we get to the next. Yeah. We we return to tag, and then you basically, if if it were a movie like cut, you'd, you'd see tag like rolling up his sleeves, then cut a B plot, and then back to tag. And he's just like walking past a pile of bodies that he's left on the floor, and you're like, yes, "Wow, what the heck exactly, happened there? Yes. I would have liked, to, I would have liked to see what occurred, uh, or how, how he managed this." Um, the, the the tag Miles Tag, whom we've not talked much about, a very interesting character in this book. Uh, kind of uh, did some things I didn't exactly expect. Uh, the the, the particular he becomes basically Neo by the end, which, which, <laughs> right. is, which is interesting. Because well I, said. I think that w- because he he gets he basically does bullet time. He's like moving. Yeah. He he yeah. like sees a humming. I mean, this is this this is actually me referencing an episode of Futurama where something like this happens. But basically, if Miles Tag were looking in in his mode uh, of of super speed and strength, we're looking out a window and there were a hummingbird in the window. He would he would be wondering why the hummingbird's wings are flapping so slowly. Yeah. Um. But it, it's interesting that the, this. And I'm this. It's possible. It's likely that this trope originated elsewhere, or appeared elsewhere. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I found it interesting that this this kind of came appeared in this book after having in Dune Messiah the whole idea of a blind person not actually being blind, which also yeah. appears in a, in a Matrix film where Neo loses his eyes, but because he has this magical matrix vision, he can still but, yeah. have this. He's so connected that he can still see. Yeah. Him. So there's just, a, I guess, and then I'm, I'm obsessed, absolutely obsessed with trope origination. I just love figuring out where things started. If it's even possible, because some of these things are just hardwired into the way we tell stories. But yeah, miles, T- miles tag, a lot, of, a lot of action in this the... book. So yeah, it could just be, I remember in, um, in, uh, what is this book called? The Gods Themselves, the Isaac Asimov book. Um, I, okay. Isaac Asimov had been criticized up to this point for not having much, many, uh, much sex or or much aliens in his books. So he made the entire middle section of the Gods Themselves, which I think is the best part of the book, basically entirely about alien sex. <laughs> that's that's what it is, and it, it, he imagined this whole fascinating. Uh, method of sexual reproduction that's totally to use a redundant term alien from ours that and it's made very interesting so this this could be something herbert people complain like where there's not much punching in your books and frank herbert's like well i'll show you punching well yeah exactly <laughs> maybe so uh you know the other thing that i think is is really interesting and you brought this up i've never thought about it before there are no there are no aliens in dune either the aliens, the closest we yeah. get to alien life, are the evolved forms of the spice navigators, or yeah. the, of the third stage navigators. Other than that, the assumption is humanity spreads out, and whether they ran into aliens or not, we conquered everybody, and the only ones that are left are human beings. Um, I, f- I find that kind of interesting. I assume one of the prequels explains the origin of the sandworms. Uh, um uh, so I have read two of the books um, probably sandworms of dune one of them one of them talks about it a little bit but uh but not in detail at least not as far as I got and like I said eight, 1700 pages I could only read so much so someone made the worms at some human at some point made them I guess is what we have to conclude yeah we're uh we'll see what happens maybe one of the oh so in the chat seeker 42 says the original origin of the sandworms is never explained. 
Oh, huh. interesting. They've just always been. We we will. They just evolved. We will we will talk to Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert about that one of these names. Uh, maybe they can tell us. Um, so with the with the punching that we see on this, um, do you if does it compare well to some of the later punching scenes that we've had in some of the other books we've read? Does it compare well with you know Sanderson going through and talking about? Because I was thinking um, Atium uh, in the in Mistborn series when when oh, yeah. Kelsier takes Atium and he can see all of these things happening at the same time. It feels very much like a call out to the prescience that. Miles Tag has in this scene where he can his danger sense goes off, but he looks and he says, "But there's nothing obvious here." Oh wait, now I can see it. If I do this, it's going to cause this. But if I do this, it's going to be. I I I found myself thinking, I wonder if that's I wonder if that's going there. Um, but that was the only part of it that I said to myself, "That sounds that 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 holds up." The rest of it, I thought, was Jack like you. I, I'm seeing the beginning, but I'm not getting the rest of the picture of all of those other pieces. Am I alone in that? I I feel like it left me I don't I don't know that I was left confused by a lot of those pieces. Foresight is kind of a is kind of an old trope anyway a little bit so it wasn't something that really bothered me. What I wanted more of though was Miles Tag is 300 years old yet it doesn't really explain anything about the first 297 years. <laughs> You know, I mean, I want to know more about Miles Tegg and his irregulars and all of these guys and how he became yeah. you know, such a such yeah, a badass. Yeah, I'm surprised there you know? hasn't been a prequel about that. I mean, they seem to have plumbed every other like possible yeah. missing gap in <laughs> Dune history. Um, I mean, all we all we know is he's old, he's trusted by the Bene Gesserit, and he's really good at what he does. But it doesn't really ex- it explains. Look, he can do these things. It doesn't explain to us how or why well, or so anything to that effect. It just I think so, I good. had this same thought the first time I read the book. Like, what the heck? Why is Miles Tag, who is an interesting character, kind of like a George Washington figure, is how I. Uh, it's like George Washington crossed with Neo, basically. Uh, and I'm like, here come the general. Yeah, and or it's like, or maybe it's like George Washington, the version of George Washington that's in that. Um, Flash video from the early 2000s where George Washington is six foot twenty and uh, kills for fun. Um, this may be a piece of culture neither of you are familiar with. Um, it's very, it's a very funny video. Uh, but I'm looking it up. Man. Yeah, I, I recommend it. It's not, very funny. not right now, but yeah, yeah, yeah do, do it. But the um, so I was, I also was confused. Like, is this just because he has some kind of Atreides heritage? But there is actually a very short scene where uh, I, I, one of the, the Bene Gesserit is meeting with him, and basically they drug him. And he's like, what, what did they just do to me? It's kind of weird. How, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And then I think that's kind of what awakens this bizarre predisposition in him where he like they like know he's going to be in these tight situations later in the book where he needs to be able to like escape a building full of 50 people who want to kill him and just like effortlessly dispatch them all. Yeah. So, so I, I think there yeah. is some kind of scene in the book itself that sets this up a little bit, but it still comes as a surprise. We're suddenly like the, it's the, it's the, the, what is it called? The T probe that yes. this, this incredible pain yeah. that he, he's, he can't believe how terrible it is. And then suddenly he's like, Oh, I'm experiencing this pain. Oh, this isn't that bad. Oh, wait a minute. Why am I like, I'm being tortured beyond all uh, prior experiences I've had, but I'm just kind of like chill. What's going on here? 
And yep. then he just unties the Nazis yep. and starts starts killing people left and right. Uh, yeah. I, I, the other, you know, you, you talked about the, the hummingbird. The other, the other image that I have in my head is Hammy at the end of Over the Hedge when they give him an energy drink and he's walking along and he sees lasers and he's just moving things out so that they're in the way of the lasers. <laughs> I, I, I see yeah. him be, and because, and, and Frank Herbert does a, uh, a, a fairly decent job, I think, uh, in my opinion of, making us feel like Miles Tegg is in absolute control at every moment. Mm -hmm. There is no freneticness about this. He is just dismantling other human beings with his hands at every <laughs> yeah. step. And it's just like, and, and I need to pick up milk and eggs and snap this spine. And, this, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it is, it is uh, this, this level of calm uh, that, that I think makes Miles Tag uh, interesting, terrifying. Oh yeah, um, it's yeah. kind but... of funny because the there are a couple of instances where until the end, the honored matres who are spoken about as a, as a terrifying force, there are several in instances before you actually see them in full in full bloom, where they're just kind of effortlessly dispatched by other characters, and I think that yes. this is this first. This Miles encounter when he's being tortured and just kind of like, you. I think it's described as he sees this one of her feet coming at him and he's kind of like, oh yeah, I'd be worried about that if I weren't basically a god right now. And yeah. then he just kind of <laughs> moves out of the way and then then the the rest goes from there. But yeah, he makes he's so awesome. He makes the the honored matres seem just kind of like a a, a, a fly that he needs to swat. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and of course that falls in line with all of the uh, the uh, what is it that Terraza said that damned Odrade prescience, uh, or that damned right. Atreides a pre prescience that keeps showing up in the Atreides along the way. Um, and the wild it, talent. Yeah, yeah. That yep. that they can't seem to control. It just keeps popping up. Um, you know, like a thorn. So much <sighs> for their breeding program. Um, so. Could a case – here's a question that I had that I wrote down um, that I wonder about – that I wonder whether or not you guys have an opinion on. Could a case be made for the fact that Duncan is the real central figure of the Dune series because we've had how many you know, Jack Butlers <laughs> that have been created along the way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when Jason Momoa comes out on screen as Duncan Idaho, I'm going to be standing there and saying, no, 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 no. It should be Jack Butler. No. Yeah, very disappointing. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, I, I I do have the advantage of being younger than Jason Momoa is, which if they keep if they make enough of these Dune movies, they're gonna he's gonna be they're gonna need a lot of Jason Momoa's. Um, yeah, I mean, he is. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, he's been in. So he's he's not in most of the first Dune actually. Um, he's in about half of it, or maybe slightly less than half. But then yes. every every subsequent book. He is a significant figure in some way. Uh, yes. At least every subsequent book that we've that we've gone through on, in this podcast series, and I gather that there are some people who may know this, but I gather that his importance. Well, I know from the subsequent book, immediately after this, that his report, importance is not receding yet, and it may in fact culminate in some incredible fashion that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> well, thank you. We appreciate well, that. I haven't. I don't want to use my precious yet. No, it would be no, it would be unfair. No spoilers for future books. We'll spoil this one, but not the future yeah. ones. <laughs>
That's right. I haven't started Chapter House yet, but it's clear that he's going to play a pivotal role in that because he escapes with with uh, the girl yeah. and uh, Sandworm and and the new uh, Bene Gesserit to Supreme Mother and, you know, who are all Atreides. And he, he's basically being set up as the new Paul. I mean, so. Yeah. He, or at least. I don't know how much. I'm no, sorry. go ahead, Ken. I, I don't know how much it was, was planned or how much it became a matter of Duncan suddenly became the author's favorite character. And so he, <laughs> he started to take on a bigger role. Uh, we've seen that happen a lot of times where we've, we've heard of characters who were bit characters who everybody loved. And so they basically earned bigger roles yeah. in, in things. So, uh, so he, he could be, he could be that, or it could just be that he was always planned to be this pivotal. Yeah. I, I remember that, um, uh, in the in the first Dune book, um, in Dune, uh, <laughs> when when Duncan is killed, I remembered thinking to myself, "This is an absolutely unearned death." It was it it was not it yeah. was not a it was not a um, it was a, it was a wasted moment almost, um, and then uh, all of a sudden he starts becoming this this um, character that is critical. Because he has to die in order to reawaken Paul. But then he has to remember dying so that he can reawaken him. It's just this really weird kind of deal where, you know, maybe Duncan's a, maybe Duncan is a, the, the original emo death icon. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it just it it just became more and more. And I see uh, in the in the chat, uh, Seeker forty two said that the Duncan was the fav audience's favorite, and so he killed him off of the book, but got mail about it, and so that was started in bringing him back. So um, you know maybe that's the you know that's not something that I found in my research as we've been going through this, but uh, you know hallelujah for the power of mail back in the day. I guess now it would have been memes that would have been saying one does not simply kill off Duncan when when is writing a book. <laughs> Um, yeah, it has to be he has to be squished uh, or something. <laughs> Dune Twitter would have uh, gone alight and you know yeah. well, <laughs> and resurrected. How Duncan. did I bring back du uh, Duncan? <laughs> <laughs> what other what other things did you guys find in the books that you said to yourself? You know, we better make sure we talk about this. <sighs> Let's see here. Oh, well, we're talking about Duncan a little bit. It was actually kind of interesting that we learned a few things about Duncan in a in a more direct way than we had before. And that's mostly because we spend more time on Getty Prime, now Gamu, than in any previous book. Which is kind of funny, because now the Harkonnens are... There aren't any left, as far as we know. Or at least they're, they're certainly not a threat. Uh, their, their presence lingers in certain ways. But I, I found it kind of interesting, in a book that I, I, was, I was not fond of uh, I had certain problems with throughout I, it was kind of interesting how much we learned about this planet that had been described only in sort of glowering terms but in the abstract in previous works yeah um, we uh, you know we hear the heart we hear them talk about um, how Guillotine Prime was awful that it was all industrialized all of these kinds of things and yet when we get to Guillotine Prime or Gamu um we are we are exposed to this beautiful um 
preserve, nature preserve, that they're moving through big forest with specially created trees that are, you know, all these different kinds of things. And I, and I, I found myself saying, and then of course we sneak back into the rest of Gamu and find out, oh yeah, no, it really is an industrial wasteland. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, uh, but I, but I found it very interesting that, uh, that that was something that he decided to spend so much time on to say, you know, the Harkonnens were, the Harkonnens were jerks, but at least they knew how to put together a national park. Uh, <laughs> and, and as a, as a um, sociologist and an ecologist that got called in for, to work in Vietnam and some other places, I wondered if I, again, you know, this is me thinking, I mean, obviously I probably could find a way to contact Brian and say, Hey, was your dad like trying to say something about this? But I, I found myself wondering: Is he trying to say, uh, based on all of the ecological mistakes that he saw being made in the '80s, this is this is what we're destined for? Slivers of places where we can see beautiful things, and the rest of the planet's going to be, you know, like New York and L.A. Yeah, maybe. Um, I got nothing. Sorry. Oh, um, in response to that, or. Dude, did you have another thing that you wanted to bring up? No, I got nothing in response. Oh, okay. to that. <laughs> I can see that. I mean, there, there's been, there's obviously an ecological current throughout this whole series. I, I, I think that's a plausible reading. Yeah, since I like Seeker's pointing out. I mean, he was an ecologist and it ran through all of his books, yeah. so it wouldn't surprise me. Well, and I, I have a tendency to look a little too much for for level two stuff, and that was certainly one of the level two pieces that I found. Is there any level three? Remember, level three is the stuff that says this is this is this would help us be a better human being. Is there any level three stuff in this book, or is this one and two all the way through? What do you guys think? Hmm. I mean, well, it'd certainly make me a better human being if I could uh, if I could control sandworms, <laughs> <laughs> or if I could move if very if I could move more quickly than all of my enemies. If I could dodge bullets. Yeah, yeah. these are all. Great self improvement tips. If <laughs> you can manage them, um, um, I'm trying to think here. <laughs> if there is, if there is like some some genuine level three stuff, I, I'm I'm kind of kind of well. So there there's an element of I I think in the character of Miles Tag you see a, a, a good degree of nobility at least particularly okay. in the description of his past exploits. He clearly acts as as a kind of leader who inspires loyalty in his men, who mm -hmm. does not see them as cannon fodder, yeah, and who who actually, as much as possible, ba based on these battles that he that he's won, he actually managed to tr try to minimize the bloodshed. Like he he acted in a way to try to make sure that there wasn't. Uh, they, he didn't really. Uh, if, if, if there was a kind of Sherman. I know I keep comparing him to different historical figures, but there was a kind of Sherman-esque nature to him, where uh, Sherman in the Civil War was obviously capable of waging total war quite well, but he was he was not very. He he was the same guy who, who said war is hell. Basically, you don't you don't want this. Like people who who lust for this, they don't they don't they haven't they clearly haven't experienced it, or that's they've gone through it in such a damaging way. Or it's damaged them in such a way that they think this is the only way to live. But I, so I, I think there are certain aspects of of Miles Tag as leader that actually could be worthwhile self improvement okay. things. Um, I would buy that. Yeah, yeah. Seeker points out that a lot of uh, the only level three stuff that uh, happened in the book happens with the girl, with uh, Shiana. 
Yeah. Which, but I'm I'm trying to remember what a lot of that level three stuff would be. I mean, you see a lot of growth because she starts out as a little girl and she ends up a, a young woman by the end of it. But she is I mean, kind of she she is at first. So I I would just like to point out her origin story is pretty shocking and 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 like really inspired on on Herbert's part where she's just happens to be uh away from the vill- her her village out in the desert and in such a position that she watches literally everything she knows just get eaten by a sandworm Woo, man <laughs> and then she then she gets the ability to control those those same sandworms so there's just a whole and if you're if, if you're a kind of desert not not quite a fremen but uh desert dweller and this is the combination of events that happens to you it, it, it's got to produce some very strange things in your psyche yeah and i think this leads to her to be yeah. like a kind of unstable talent at when the when the the Bene Gesserit and the priests of rakis first find her and she's kind of wild and and thinks of herself as as a kind of uh a very important figure and she she has to be I don't know, almost kind of broken like a horse in a way, because they have to, like, they, she can't just be, the, the, the Bene Gesserit kind of confront her and force her to to be better than she, she was when they came to her. I guess that's some, yeah. you know, that's some plausible level three stuff. I'd buy that. Um, and yeah, that and, and that. that not everything that uh, that is uh, that is, that not every, not every social uh, construct necessarily is bad. That sometimes maybe there yeah. are some good things that happen. She's got a rebellious teenager aesthetic to her. That they, yeah. they kind of Ben and Jezra kind of have to yeah. discipline out of her. Yeah, um, I, I know that. I know that for me, as I was as I was reading through the book, um, I I felt like the only the only level three piece that I was pulling from it, uh, and and maybe this is just because. Um, because I'm a I, I'm a horrible human being, or maybe because I'm a shallow human being, uh, but the only level level three stuff that I pulled from it was survival of the species. Um, there is there is something uh, about recognizing that it is that as our responsibility to keep the species moving. We have the honored matres and the people from the scattering coming back. Um, we have Leto's. Uh, or the, the God Emperor's golden path, and they are now in absolute conflict. And the Bene Gesserit stand there at this crossroads and say, we need to keep humanity alive. We need to keep things moving forward. And so they sacrifice a whole bunch of their power, and they give it away to the Tleilaxu, and they they align themselves against the this war. By the way, do we ever know why they're coming back to conquer everybody? Is it just because they were bored out there and they have nothing left to do, so they'll come back and conquer everything they knew before? Um, I don't know. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I Maybe they're Kids wondering if they can, they can find some, some better sex where they came from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, or maybe better, or, or maybe melange makes it better. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I know as I as I was reading it and coming to the end, I said to myself, "Wow, the Bene Gesserit." There's a there's a line where Taraza and Ta and Da are talking about the fact that they deal in generations. It's not about it's it and that only people who take a generational view can really be concerned with the survival of the species. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think at one point yeah. uh 
I think it's Dar who is talking to another uh, one, another sister of hers, and the the sister says something like, "Well, we can we can survive on chapter on a chapter house planet with uh, our present spice hordes for fifty generations. That'll be fine." And Dar's like, "Are you kidding me? That's not long enough. That's why I have this job and you don't." <laughs> yes. It must yeah. be Tar then, because Tar at this point is still the still in charge, actually. Anyway, so it's the same. Whoever it is, right. it's the same. I mean, it's by the end, it's actually both of them. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> uh, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, whoever it is, it's the same message. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Very. Um, very level. You know, like I say, maybe maybe that's the only level three stuff coming out of that. But uh, I uh, although I do recognize the nobility of Tag. Uh, Jack, as you've described it, is is probably something that I'm going to have to go back and rethink and and pay more attention to uh, if I ever come back and review this. I mean, you gotta you gotta wonder. There, there's got to be something to him with all. With just he goes to this planet that no one knows he's at, and then he's just got basically an entire army at his disposal, <laughs> almost instantaneously. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Well, you know, I want that backstory. The one thing we didn't ask at the beginning, and I want to ask it here at the end: Did you guys like the book? Actually, yeah. Okay. I I read it uh, once before, uh, back when right after we finished God Emperor and we finished our discussion, and we were kind of taking a little bit of a break. I just happened to get. Uh, come up on the list for for it at the library, and so I'm like, all right, I'll go ahead and and uh, give it a go. And I just kind of sloughed through it passively. And I, not kidding, when we started reading it again for this, didn't remember a darn thing. <laughs> it was almost like, it was almost like I was going in fresh reading it the second time. But the second time around, I liked it a lot better. You know, I got I, I got a lot of the characters like Miles Tegg, for example. I I don't know how I missed a lot of that stuff, but it was fantastic and. I think, you know, crazy rampant uh, sex fantasies aside, I, I think that, <laughs> or that Frank Herbert, or included, you know, I think Frank Herbert wrote a pretty good story. I know a lot of people that I saw who I didn't read a lot of reviews, but a lot of people that I saw said the same thing. They're like, well, I didn't, I didn't think much of this book, but the second time around, I, I put it much higher on my list, you know, so maybe it's just one that grows on you or something, or you have to give it a, a second look. To catch the things you didn't catch the first time. Jack, how about you? I don't know. So it's been two times for me. I have to say, the first time I read it, I just... It took me... I, I got about halfway through it, and I, I'm just wondering, what the heck am I reading? Like, what is what is the point of this book? I just don't get it. What is what is being explored here? What is the point of what's happening? And I just... Also, I should just point out as an aside, I kind of laughed uh, when what we on the first page, we've got a... We've got another, yeah. We've got another Duncan Idaho Gola. <laughs> just like, oh god, we just wait. We just did this. Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty much. But the so I got about halfway through the book, wondering what it was about, and then suddenly I can't. I'd, I'd be able to find the exact line if I if I looked through it again. There was there was some throwaway line about somebody being called called uh, a heretic or something, which is a couple of people are called heretics throughout the book. Heretics of Dune, as you might. Be surprised Tech's, to find out. Tag's mother and Tag. Seems like everybody. Yeah. Seems like everybody is called heretic at one point or another. Yeah. 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 And for some reason, whenever, whatever instance of this that I encountered at this point, 
I said, it sort of dawned on me suddenly, oh, so that's what this book is about. It's a, it's about the kind of, and I, I sort of hinted at this at the beginning of this episode. It's about uh, the permanence and decay of institutions and people and ideas over time and how you deal with that and how you can succeed at dealing with it and how you can fail in, 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 in how you can fail to confront it. And then, so once I had that realization, that was the sort of 50,000 foot view. That, that was the large fractal that if you zoom in, the sort of smaller fractals of every, every individual thing that yeah. was happening started to make more sense to me. I still think, though, that this is a come down from the previous four books in the series. Particularly, it's a come down from God Emperor, which uh, is definitely my second favorite and sometimes almost as I like I like almost as much as the the first dune and that that alone that that so that factor made me it still makes it difficult for me to appreciate this book perhaps in the way that you'd expect a dune fan to appreciate it and yeah. I think there there's a, there's a lot of there 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 are extended sections of this book that feel kind of like uh holding patterns or or kind of running in place kind of stuff it really picks up at the very end but it almost too, it's almost too quick at that point. Um, but yeah, I, it'll be hard. It would be bad for me brand wise to just explicitly condemn a book in the Dune series. So I won't do that. Uh, <laughs> that's not the only reason. Uh, I think there is, there is some merit here, but I, I did not, I did not find it quite as rewarding as certainly not as God Emperor. And I don't know, maybe it's like children of Dune level for me. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say that for now. Yeah, I think um, for me, I uh, second time through for me as well. Um, there were um, there were certainly things about the book that I picked up differently the second time through. One of the things that I um, one of the things that I think I I sense about this book is that it is uh, Jack. You used the word holding pattern. This is a stopgap between. All of the things that he's that Frank Herbert has set up and his conclusion, and so it's kind of like kind of like the Empire Strikes Back. You got to put people in bad situations. You got to put them in a place where they really can't succeed in order to set them up for the place where you can have the conclusion, the the conclusion that you want. And so I think that um, for me that was that was one of the things that made the book a little bit lackluster um, the first time that I read it. The second time that I read it through, um, I appreciate it more. I think because of that, uh, because he's taking some time to make sure that all of the pieces are clearly in place so that he can, so that it makes sense when he's going to move them around at the end. We, it, it's not a, it's not an Arthur Conan Doyle thing of, of Sherlock Holmes pulling out something and saying, well, what you didn't know was blah, 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 <laughs> um, <laughs> right. you know, which was, which was his trope. Um, but, uh, but Frank Herbert has, has, really solidly sat down and said, these are things you need to know in order for the culmination of this series to work. So here's my gift. Yes, a culmination which he fortunately will live more than long enough to bring to a, satisf a satisfactory conclusion according to his precise dictates uh, flowing from his very pen. Oh, wait, no. Sorry. <laughs> Real world spoiler, he dies. I'm like, wait, what? This, this, is, this, 
this is a fate. This is not a unique fate. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be too mean about this because this is someone's death we're talking about. Uh, but this is not an uncommon thing in the sci-fi fantasy universe where the uh, the creator has is, gets lost in this world of, of very impressive creation and then uh, you just get to the 5th or 6th or 10th or 15th book and then, uh, you know what? Mortality is still a thing. Yeah, yep. yeah. It's um, I I wonder how much, um, how different the final. Of course, we haven't read it yet. I haven't read it yet. I haven't even read it a first time yet for Chapter House. Uh, but I wonder. I, I wonder if there's a point at which, um, if 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 uh, during some Chris, some some dark and stormy Christmas night, uh, if Frank Herbert could come back and tell me this is what I would have done, if uh, we'll hear anything of that. Uh, probably not. I'm not. Will we get a Frank Herbert. Frank Gola? Herbert sounded like. <laughs> if we did, uh, maybe that's really who Brian Anderson is. Uh, he's not his son. He's a Gola that's been re- reincarnated. Uh, and if they're listening to the podcast now, I'm probably in trouble for that. That's a that's a fet like situation there. <laughs> We'll see what happens. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. We are going to read Chapter House, so uh, uh, if you gentlemen will start reading Chapter House with me, and hopefully the rest of our uh, the rest of the listeners will read that as well. We'll have another conversation. Uh, we won't say that we're going to do that in two weeks, but we'll do that soon. And uh, in the meantime, like I said, you know, we've got the new Dune movie coming out. I think this is uh, this is going to be a great thing to do to to finish off. Oh man, can you say you finish it off when you've got three trilogy prequels and Two midpoint <laughs> novels that have been written by Kevin Anderson and Brian Herb. I, how much? Yes. How much? Yes, you can say you finished. It okay. Off. Yes. Okay. Then I won't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, and have a magnificent night. And Jack, again, thank you for making time as as the public figure you yeah. are to talk to us, poor little podunk people out here in Utah. Uh, uh, I'm, hey, I'm... By by the way, public figure, um, several of the listeners wanted us to thank you for deliberately bringing them to the podcast you're they are here because you absolutely are yeah thank you wow. so there you go yeah good job sure. figure. um i'm i'm apparently just this is how magnanimous i am yes I've, I've, you are. i've not forgotten the little fremen uh <laughs> <laughs> as we live in our small little sketches and and huddle for warmth and try to save some water yep <laughs> all right everybody have a great night we'll uh we'll see you next time